Hey guys, uh, Scott and Todd here from the uh, Volunteer Firefighter Podcast at DTFF. Uh, this month, which is May, is the Stop the Bleed month. So we thought we'd um, um, kind of catch you up to speed on some of the Stop the Bleed um, course. We're not teaching the course. We're going to show you if you were an instructor in the course or yep. um, you know, maybe if you're going to take the course, at least have some idea what you're going to get into. Um, we're going to show you some options on some videos you might be able to show and some of the stuff you can do. And later on, we're going to go to our training ground and do some live action, kind of those high fidelity sims like Todd always talks about, um, because that really reinforces it. Uh, I think one thing we understand is this course is strongly based on what the instructors do, because yeah. um, it, it's it's fairly basic. Just stop, stopping the bleed is a fairly basic skill, but uh, it's all instructor based after that. Just to make sure we get that reinforcement through that uh, those those sims. Yeah, exactly. It's um, so the the program itself. When you get um, taught by an instructor, it's about a forty five minute to an hour um, long PowerPoint presentation, and uh, we're only going to touch base with a few of those uh, slides here. It's not going to be the full course, like Scott was mentioning, um, but we're going to really show you what you can do to spice it up. Yeah. Okay. So basically the way the PowerPoint is designed, it's, um, this is for everybody. So this is for civilians, this is for, you know, soccer moms, the, uh, you know, all the way you can, you can scale it to law enforcement. Um, law enforcement guys normally take the TCCC courses and, and things like that, but, um, they would, they could also take this course and get a lot out of it. So it's, it's pretty scalable. Um, so, you know, the opening title shot, mm -hmm. obviously stop the bleed, save a life, uh, save a life. Um, then we're going to go to the next, sorry. The other, yeah, just to add, uh, schools as well. Uh, elementary schools, high schools, uh, Stop the Bleed is really uh, pushed right. for the Stop the Bleed kits uh, in the schools. Um, and we'll touch base with that in a moment. So these are the organizations that have uh, kind of gotten together. They've endorsed this. Um, we're just going to skip through mostly uh, the American College of Surgeons, uh, American College of Emergency Physicians, uh, National Association of Emergency Medical Technicians, and the Committee for Tactical Combat Casualty Care. As always, there's always a disclaimer in any of these courses. Some of these images shown during this presentation may be disturbing to some, and we're gonna show you some of those images right now. So this is a good video that, uh, that we always like to show at the start of these courses because it kind of gets everybody focused on what we're here for. Um, this is, uh, some of these videos were taken from a fellow named Skinny Medic off of uh, YouTube. Um, it's a really great resource. If you go on his YouTube page, show him some love because uh, he, has, he has got a lot of content. Um, he does these after action reports where he lays it all out. We've basically just taken the snippet for the video we want to show you. Um, so this is a, a robbery suspect, I believe out of Iran a few years ago. And the takeaway from this is when you hear the gunshot wound, that's when we're going to start a timer and we're going to see. So it's not about what's happening in the crowd. It's about when you hear the gunshot versus when the suspect is no longer able to care for himself. Imagine you were that person and how long you would have to put a tourniquet on or stop the bleed. So you can see the person has a knife. I think he actually cuts himself here a little bit. You can see a little bit of blood. Um, this, this is an off-duty officer, I believe. Uh, he has, he has uh, the firearm. So the gunshot goes off now, so we'd start a timer. 
You already see pools of blood down here, starting to form. The blood isn't necessarily spurting because it, he obviously has jeans on and it's, it's stopping some of that uh, that, that spurting blood. Oh, soaking through the jeans. No one's really, no one's assisting him at all, but um, you can see he's still bleeding quite heavily, the large pooling right here. So he passes out right there. So that's only where we'd, we'd stop this video. So you can see he is no longer um, conscious or no, no longer has the ability to, uh, to self-rescue. And that's really the takeaway from this video. It's, um, it's a good chance to show students and, and, you know, the instructors, everybody to get that mindset of, we have to get that tourniquet on it or we have to stop that bleed quickly. Mm -hmm. Time is of the essence. <clears throat> Actually, I'm just going uh, to show one more. So when we talked about uh, massive hemorrhage and stop the bleed, this is, that's exactly what it is. Massive hemorrhage happens very quickly. Uh, these techniques will still work for uh, uh, a hemorrhage, that will become massive if, if uncontrolled, but for these massive, like 39 seconds, you can start going into hemorrhagic shock and bleeding out. Um, so they're very, very important on that time. We're not gonna, we're, we're gonna stress that a lot when we start doing our high fidelity sims. Now this one is even uh, less time. So this really shows how quickly blood loss uh, can result in unconsciousness or inability to effectively rescue yourself. So the person we're watching here is uh, this girl here. Some point here, I believe right around there, she gets shot or stabbed. It's not really clear in the video. And you'll see blood starting to flow already here. A lot of blood, a lot of blood. So right there, she's already unconscious. She's already basically unable to, I mean, not unconscious, but she's unable to self-rescue. So in that short amount of time, which is probably only a few seconds, She's already um, went from fully conscious moving to basically out. So that's really important. And if, if we carry on with this video, we'll see the boyfriend, whoever that is, show up and he doesn't really help. He just kind of uh, freaks out and doesn't have any, appears to not have any medical experience. And basically, if you don't have that ability to stop the bleed, then you're going to have, um, you're not going to be able to assist. Okay, so we normally show those first two videos just to get that um, get those, that buy-in to start on on the uh, bleeding. Yeah, number one cause of preventable death uh, is um, is bleeding. So we know that uh, for trauma, um, the number one cause of death is the is massive hemorrhage, and we can prevent that by doing these techniques. So by wound packing, by uh, uh, direct pressure, and by tourniquet application, and time is of the essence. Scott was talking about um, uh, kind of earlier on why Stop the Bleed has uh, become what it is and why it's important to get out there. Um, it, it is the civilian version of it and it's very um, generic for all, all avenues of life. So our schools, our elementary schools, um, our high schools, community centers, large gatherings, uh, and just personal um, care, like hunting. When I go hunting, I make sure I carry an IFAC bag with uh, certain supplies. Right, and, and like you're gonna see some of our um our sims may, may involve a chainsaw and we're, you know people cut themselves all the time with chainsaws and they're usually in the woods they usually don't have that medical care right, yeah, urgently there 
So these are all the locations that you would, uh, you know, emergencies, uh, natural disasters, car accidents, all places where this, this uh, information can be used. So first thing uh, we want to do, our goals are going to be, first thing we're going to identify, so we got to recognize life-threatening bleeding. So large pools of blood, um, heavy spurting blood. Soaking through uh, a lot of clothes. Uh, so you saw in that one video of jeans, uh, you start getting that massive blood soaking through. That's massive hemorrhage. So that's recognizing that, uh, that bleeding and what if it's just a small hemorrhage or massive. And then that leads us to step two, which is stop the bleed, of course. So we're going to take the steps to stop the bleed. There's essentially three things we're going to, we're going to talk about, uh, which is the first thing is going to always be direct pressure. That's going to be your kind of your first go-to. So pressure, uh, basically pressure, pressure, more pressure. Failing that, we're going to get into some, some wound packing. And then uh, we're also going to discuss uh, tourniquets, tourniquet application. So again, being a, um, a civilian... Um course personal safety is number one so uh, the first thing you, you want to make sure if you're injured uh, you can't help others so you have to make sure yourself is safe um, and then when it's safe then go in and assist um, a lot of the basis for this is those high-risk situations um, like say car accidents or where there's other hazards to yourself uh, then we do talk about other um, uh, terrorist incidents, whether it's uh, involved shooting or vehicles into crowds, you know, you have to make sure that environment is safe. So if it's unsafe, stop, move to safety, and then help when you can. Um, if you're able to uh, obviously get gloves on, um, and, you know, nowadays you might even need a mask. Um, we're in the middle of this pandemic. Um, if you get blood on you, obviously we're going we're gonna to clean it off later and notify, your, notify the EHS when they arrive. They'll probably be able to assist you get some of that off. Because um, as you can see from some of these videos, it is going to get messy. Yeah. So the ABCs of bleeding control, so similar to the ABCs of uh, first aid, ABCs of bleeding control. First, we want to alert 911. So if this is a civilian course that you're teaching or you're in, um, obviously you're going you're gonna to use your phone, dial 911. If this is for like firefighters, you're, you're teaching fellow firefighters, you're teaching uh, police, obviously they are 911. But if they're the ones that are injured, then they need to call either their dispatcher, they need to call for backup, maybe they need to do a, a writ mayday call. So that's that's all associated with let's call 911. So a mayday call is us calling 911. You get, you're trapped in a building and something collapses on you, and next thing now you're bleeding heavily. Hmm. Do we want to touch base real quick just on the march approach? So depending on uh, civilian version, this is very good for the ABCs of bleeding. Um, uh, then obviously if you're a responder, you want to follow your... Um, local policies and procedures. However, one very good one out there and is very common is the march approach. I don't know if we can see this slide here, but we've heard, you've heard us talk about it in the past. So march stands for massive hemorrhage, airway, respiration, circulation, and then head or hypothermia. That's a very popular one with um, uh, military and usually most EMS agencies as well. So as we talked about, first thing we're going to do is alert 911. Uh, call 911. Know your location because that's important. Uh, follow instructions provided by the 911 operator. Um, keep in mind a lot of, if you have a tourniquet on you, a lot of, uh, still to this day, a lot of 911 operators and a lot of uh, even paramedics um, aren't necessarily big on the tourniquet yet. It's it's coming slowly. I mean, it, uh, sorry, actually fairly quickly now. But for years and years, we were always told, don't use tourniquets. And I think that's... yeah. That's definitely made a shift, and we're going to talk about that when we get into tourniquets more. 
but it's definitely been that shift. So they may not know. You, you could say, hey, I have a tourniquet on me. They may be like, well, don't put it on. <laughs> but if you have training and you understand how it works, of course, we should be using it. Yeah. <clears throat> so the next thing we do after we alert 911, we have to um, find the bleeding. So we're going we're gonna to locate the bleeding. Uh, so on locating bleeding, we want to make sure just if, if you see blood soaking through the jeans or the shirt or whatever, you need to expose that. Super important. Some, you can't just peek around it or put your hand uh, over top of that um, blood soaked area. You need to identify where that bleeding is coming from. We need to find the exact area for that. So rip those clo clothes open, tear them off, cut them open. If you have scissors around or a knife, just make sure you don't stab or cut them. Um, but you need to find and identify that source. So for a few things, one, you can see how big the wound is, what type of blood is coming out. If it's just a flow, is it an artery, is it spurting, and the volume of blood that's coming out. And I think it's really important when you're, if this is a firefighter injured, um, they're obviously wearing, probably going to be wearing turnout gear. Mm -hmm. And that turnout gear is like a giant soaker bandage and just soaks up that blood. So we really got to cut and expose. Yeah, yeah, actually that just reminds me as well. So the other one... Um, a lot of agencies, even EMS agencies, I see this, uh, they wear their tactical pants into the boots. They tuck them in or they tie them up tight. So these things are designed to be water resistant and hold fluids uh, or repel fluids. So they trap a lot inside. So you may not see the actual true volume until you get that off. Uh, there also may be multiple places. So, you know, most stabbings, uh, a stabbing isn't just usually one. Like, it's not like I'm, eh. it's usually like, you know, they, they keep going. That correction officer is called the prison sewing machine. They keep going multiple, multiple wounds. So we have to find, that's why it's important to open that, open that up, find those, find those wounds. Time of year, uh, you know, clothing um, may have many layers on as well. So really important. So some of the areas you're going to find uh, bleeding, you're going to find the arms and legs. So that's uh, when we get into, when you start talking about tourniquets, we're going to get into using uh, tourniquets here. We can also use some wound packing and direct pressure. So basically limbs are our, pretty much we can do everything on. We can do, uh, we can do direct pressure, we can do tourniquets, we can do wound packing. Absolutely. Um, once we get into these areas called the junctional areas, so neck, armpits, and groin, obviously it'd be very difficult to tourniquet someone's neck. Because obviously if we tourniquet someone's neck, they're going to stop breathing. So we have to use um, wound packing and direct pressure. So those are what I refer to as junctional areas, neck, armpits, uh, groin area. And then lastly, we have the basically the chest and the body area. Now this gets a little tricky because if you start wound packing up and start wound packing or, or obviously can't tourniquet uh, a full body, uh, once you start thinking about wound packing, there's obviously a lot of void space for organs. Exactly. Uh, so you don't want to start sticking things into these uh, areas. Yeah, we, we don't wound pack any chest. Absolutely not. Um, even the torso, there's there's so many um, uh, large areas and cavities where you're just filling in into nothing. Uh, we do know that's a, a large area where blood tends to pool, um, or that's where that direct pressure as best we can. And there, there's tons and tons of evidence out there. Like if you get a major uh, uh, injury in your thoracic area here, you need a trauma room. You need a trauma physician immediately. So time is of the essence. Get 911 started. If you are 911, get the ambulance there so you can transport that person. But we need to control that. So we need that uh, direct pressure. Right. And one thing this course doesn't teach is the um, chest seal. That's um, right. Because it's it's not a 
it's not a way to stop bleeding. It's, it's a way to basically mitigate the injury, I guess. Um, yeah, we can show that. And talk we'll show the chest seal a little well. bit, but it's one thing they don't uh, deal with in uh, Stop the Bleed is, is a chest seal. So now it's that, so that gets us into so once we've um, called on nine one one we've found the bleeding we now have to do what we can to stop the bleeding. So the first thing we're going to talk about is pressure. So uh, direct pressure or compress is going to uh, is going to we're going to apply direct pressure to the wound, and it has to be like like direct like not like just a little bit of pressure. It's direct forceful pressure. So Focus yeah, so on the location of the bleeding. Use just enough gauze or cloth, uh, cloth to cover the injury so you can see where you're at. And uh, if pressure stops the bleeding, keep pressure on the wound until help arrives. Yeah, so we want to identify that wound. Uh, we want direct pressure on. So with, uh, if again, safety with a gloved hand if you have it. If not, direct pressure with bare hands. If you have gauze around your first aid kit, use that as well. Uh, but we want right on that wound, direct pressure. Lots of times two hands and push and it's going to hurt. Communicate to them that this is going to hurt a lot and put that direct pressure on. If you have other gauze there, um, there's there's pros and cons of this. So again, when we start talk about direct pressure, wound packing is going to be a bit more efficient. Uh, so with this direct pressure, you need a very forceful pressure uh, downwards onto it. Uh, if there is nothing around, you can use the clothing that they have on, a clean shirt or, or something, a uh, rag to shove in that wound as well. Here we go, compress packing. So uh, before we get into packing, I'm actually gonna show you one more video. So when we talk about packing, uh, it's important to get that, that uh, gauze in very deep. Uh, you wanna stick your fingers right in that wound and uh, find that source of bleeding uh, or the bone and to start packing that gauze in or that shirt uh, as deep as you can. And once that's all packing, which we'll show later on, uh, you wanna mound it and then direct pressure again on top. Just take me a second here. So the other thing with, um, with our direct pressure we talk a lot about is lot, there's a lot of other people that are trained with throwing a knee on it for pressure points and things like that. Uh, try to avoid the pressure points get those knees directly on that open wound. So this is a, uh, a cyclist. So this just goes to show you it's not about shootings and stabbings. It's, this is just someone going for a bike ride. This is a professional guy bike riding. Yeah, this is a really good video. It shows how fast it can happen. And this another great video with, with the bike riding, many facets of life. It's not just your typical. So that's his fall. That's all he did. But it, it appears he impaled himself with the... Uh, Handlebar. So you can see it's already hit here. Already soaking through his clothes. Spurting. So he's, his, his, he's giving direct pressure. His uh, buddy comes in, starts giving direct pressure as well. It ends up not being enough. So he actually does, his friend does here in a second. So he actually gets his knee right in there. So you can see now he's got the knee right on there. He's giving a lot of amount of direct pressure. In a second, here we go. And he actually hugs them. Giving counter pressure. Uh, giving that counter pressure. So when we talk about direct pressure, we're meaning a lot of pressure for massive hemorrhages. So they, he ends up giving that pressure and the and the medics arrive and uh, they take him. And as far as I know, he survived. But it just goes to show like you have to, you know, just sometimes your hands aren't enough. You, you, that knee 
Um, Use your body weight. Yeah. Pressure. All right, so Backing. yeah, so if we uh, if the direct pressure is enough, then we have to get into what's called uh, wound packing. Uh, so for large wounds, uh, the pressure is not effective. So if pressure is not effective, like we're not getting that 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 force down onto that artery, we're we're going to have to do something different, which is which is wound packing. That's right. So you can see in this illustration here that when we put our our gauze over top and just put direct pressure on, it's blood is still going to accumulate. Uh, into that wound is still going to be active with bleeding and it can still soak out and start uh, start leaking. So that's why we want to fill that void with that gauze and that wound packing material. So these little videos, these these come in the slideshow where um, we're just skipping past them because we're going to basically demo those same, same yeah. things. So if it was a true simplified civilian course, you just run that video and it has all the information right there. But we like to get hands-on, we like to get in there. Um, and we'll, we're gonna talk about some props that you can use later. You can you can do uh, the expensive props or we can make some uh, some less expensive props. Uh, so for wound packing, you're gonna be able to use the, the limbs and like we said, the junctional area. The body, like we said, we wanna to try to stick away from obviously the... Um, that, Thoracic, that, chest yeah. cavity area, yeah. Now with the wound packing, there's there's lots of different packing agents. There's uh, you know there's there's the hemostatic dressing, which is quick lock. These ones are are um, inert. Yeah, these are these are just trainers that that you have. Um, but there's there's a variety of material out there. There's the um, uh, quick cloth. There's sea locks. There's other brands um, uh, that have the hemostatic agents. But basically any sort of gauze. Uh, make sure it's a good packing gauze. It doesn't need to have a clotting agent um, impregnated into it. So as Scott's opening up, um, roller gauze is fantastic. Um, it's cheap. Uh, you can put it in all your first aid kits. Uh, I carry a pile of roller gauze in all my kits as well. Yep. The same with the, some of the other uh, hemostatic agents. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge with hemostatic is, is A, the price, because yeah. these are crazy expensive, and B, the fact that it will expire eventually. So you have this dressing that you may never use, and it expires. So I think if it's your if it's your life, like if you're you know uh, police or military, yeah, you'd be you'd be rolling with the quick clock. Mm -hmm. But regular civilian, probably all you're gonna need is this. And a lot of the kits you just buy from over the counter only, generally only come with one in it. Yeah. Some of the wounds are very large. You're gonna need multiple gauze to to fill that void to pack it. So uh, real quick on, on packing, we'll, we're gonna get into this when we, when we get out into the training room, but um, there's, a, there's a few different ways. Um, some people like, like you start with making a little bit of a, a kind of a knot, I don't know how you normally do it, Todd, but I normally start with a little bit of a, a knot and I'm gonna basically stuff it all the way in as far as I can. And then as I'm going, I'm gonna trail my finger right behind it. So my finger, is, basically there's always gonna be pressure on that wound and, and it just keeps feeding it in. So it's never gonna relieve that, that pressure on that injury and I'm getting right down into that where I can feel the artery and keep packing. Basically I'm gonna pack this whole thing and then it, once, it, once it's packed in, any leftover I'm just gonna go on top and continue that direct pressure and then we can start wrapping. That's right. We'll get more into detail uh, with a closer shot later on as well, but you wanna make sure you have that finger in there at all times to, uh, to find the seat of it and just use it as a guide and just start packing that in and quickly too. Like we're doing it slowly, but 
in real lifetime, you don't want to be doing it slow and there's active bleeding. You want to pack that sucker fast. Uh, Scott's got a great video showing some wound packing on somebody. It's a little bit slower, but it's a very controlled environment and not active bleeding. Yeah, which we might get into in a minute. Okay, so we've talked about direct pressure. We've talked about uh, wound packing. So now we're going to get into the tourniquet. So the tourniquet is, like we said earlier, it's it's kind of had a bad name for itself uh, over the years. It's been around since Roman times, we, we believe, or even longer. <laughs> Basically, since soldiers have been stabbing each other. Since they've been tourniquet. <laughs> yeah, since they realize blood comes out of the body and they need to stop it, tourniquets have been around. Um, recently, you know, since um, the, the uh, global war on terror, the tourniquet usage of what has went way up and they realized how important it is. Um, so there is a number of tourniquets nowadays, which we'll talk about. Um, but, but essentially tourniquet application is, is the same, the same everywhere. Now, the only one that's a little bit contentious is, is the, where it gets placed. Cause some people say, you know, in this course mm -hmm. in particular, it says two to three inches above the, above the wound. Um, others say just high and tight. So, okay. If you're not quite sure where the injury is, or you know, you can't maybe maybe you can't look like maybe it's a bullet, and a bullet hits the um, uh, the arm, hits the uh, bone, and then then ricochets and travels. You might have the the wound site here, but it actually the injury is up higher. So um, you can go high and tight. That's a quick that's a quick a quick application. High and tight, or two to three inches above the, the injury. Yeah, high and tight is a very good general rule. Um, and then it leaves you a lot of room to uh, add a second tourniquet if needed as well. Right. Um, you don't want to place it over the elbow or knee, obviously, because uh, that's not going to um, stop any bleeding because um, you're, you're trying to basically crush that artery into, against that bone. And it's going to be, you're not going to be able to do that over the, over the actual joints. Exactly. The other thing to remember that with that one, when they talk about don't placing it over the elbow or knee, is uh, pockets as well, right? Um, generally, if people are carrying a lot of things in their side pockets or their cargo pockets, make sure that stuff is out. Uh, wallets, God knows what people are carrying. Uh, make sure there's nothing uh, in between that tourniquet application. Um, if you can, yeah, expose the skin and put it right over top. If not, absolutely right over top of the, um, the clothes. But uh, we want to make sure it's very tight and there's nothing in between that tourniquet and the victim. So now it says tighten the tourniquet until the bleeding stops. So they, and the, when they refer to bleeding, they mean that heavy, um, the heavy flow. You're still probably gonna get uh, like a venous flow. You're still gonna get some blood oozing, and especially if it's a, if it's a um, uh, amputation, yeah. the the bone marrow itself is gonna have some flow to it, but it's not gonna be that spurting. Blood That's right. You'll, you're going to see always a little bit of oozing, uh, especially with the amputations. It'll eventually start slowing and clotting. Um, however, um, yeah, you, you're looking for that sign of uh, uh, no distal pulse if the limb is still attached um, or that massive blood loss is, is stopped. And then lastly, once it's on, we don't remove it. And that's one thing I believe some first aid courses are actually teaching. You know, after five minutes, you open it up and you're going to get the blood flowing. Yeah. Um, there's a few reasons why we don't want to do that. One is because any clotting that you've already started, you're going to blow that clot out. Um, and the second reason is you're basically, um, I don't, I'm not a medic. I don't have all these technical terms like Conrad probably has, <laughs> but basically there's going to be a bunch of shitty blood <laughs> left and you're going to, I don't know, you can probably explain it better than I can. <laughs> yeah. The, the big thing is, I mean, so there is, there is a lot of information in the past where we would apply a tourniquet 
and then you, there's so many myths with it, and that's the problem uh, with tourniquets. Everybody is afraid to put a tourniquet on because of all these myths. You're going to lose the whole arm if you put a tourniquet on, and then you have to release it to get some circulation back again. No, we're not going to do that because you're getting such a bad toxic blood flow. Um, you know, there's the perfect chemicals in there to come and stop your heart. Um, and the other big thing is the clotting factors. Like you, your body only has enough um, chance for, for one solid chance to start that clot. Um, after that, we lose everything. So we, we go and release that. Maybe it's a major, major vessel in a leg and it starts bleeding again. You're not going to clot. You don't have any more clotting factors left. So uh, we're not releasing it. You're putting it on. It can stay on there as long as it needs to, up into the OR, and then under direct protocols, they're going to release that tourniquet. Uh, you can apply it to yourself or others. So you can self-apply, which we'll show you in a minute, or you can apply it to uh, someone that's down and needs assistance. Uh, as Todd already said, you can apply it over clothing. Um, and tourniquets will hurt, so they're going to hurt a lot. So when you when you tighten that thing down, it's going to hurt um, because that means it's working. Uh, the second tourniquet, and uh, the second tourniquet may also be applied, like Todd said. We can, uh, if one doesn't isn't working, we may need to put a second one. On. I like uh, the way Scott talks about tourniquets on. When you uh, when you apply yourself, yeah. you can say. Say, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and, and then you go one other turn. <laughs> Another turn or two, yeah. Here we go with tourniquets. Many different types of tourniquets. We've got a few different styles here we're going to show you. Um, the, the blue ones are the, technically the training ones. However, there's a lot of evidence out there that there's no difference in the make of them um, to the real ones. Um, generally, the way you see EMS carrying is usually the orange ones. Um, there is the black ones as well, just because black's cool, everybody likes it, it's the tactical of black, right? But um, they all do the same thing. I've actually seen mo a lot of law enforcement now are, are starting to carry these because uh, when you look at their belt and uh, they're down, you can easily identify where the tourniquet is on right. a person because they have their bat belt going on and they have a lot of black gear. So they'll have their pepper spray, their handcuff pouch, their uh, magazine pouches. And, you know, if, if their tourniquet pouch is black and looks the same, um, the only identifiable feature is going to be the fact that you can now see an orange um, tourniquet sticking out of their out of that right. pouch. So it's, it's really... It's, I think it's important to have a, either an orange or a blue one. Um, like, like Todd said, they're the same tourniquet. They're just, they're just different colors. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other real thing, quick thing, is uh, for training purposes, right. the reason why um, they are the blue is because we don't want to mistake it and put it back in our real kit because the ribbon in here is going to be stretched over time and won't be as efficient. So that's why we know these ones are strictly for training. I'm not going to accidentally grab you know, this black one and stick it back in my kit. We identify them on the uh, time tags uh, that they're training, training yeah. tourniquets. Or you can write on them, whatever. You can just just make sure you identify that as a training tourniquet. That's right. Would it still work? Probably. But if I get shot right now, talking to Jesus on me, but we don't want to have this on our person as our as our gear. That's right. Um, so there's a bunch of tourniquets. Uh, tourniquets right now are like the Wild West. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of interesting tourniquets coming out. Um, there, there is a list from uh, TCCC that they put out every year of approved tourniquets. So, is it a law that you have to do to use an approved tourniquet? No, but you should probably use an approved tourniquet because you don't. Want, that's the last thing you want to do is trust it, put it on, and the next thing it um, it blows out. So, you know, you want to spend the forty bucks on a cat tourniquet or the fifteen dollars on some random windless tourniquet. Okay, 
So the ones that are most common, probably the cat, that's what these are, is probably the main one. Like I'd say that's probably what most people are carrying is the cat tourniquet. We're not endorsing any of them, um, but the cat tourniquet is probably the one you're going to see most people have. And then second to that is probably going to be the soft key. Um, so we have the soft key. That's a cat. The soft key is this one. It's essentially the same. Everything is the same design. Um, but basically the soft key is this one. This is a... This one's got, it's got the metal clasp. I always find it actually easier. Um, this one's a, easier to put on with two people because you, you can unclasp it, hook it back up. But it's essentially the exact same design. Mm -hmm. There's um, the big thing with tourniquets is whichever one either your agency has, train with that and use the same one because it's muscle memory. So they're all very good. They all do the same job, um, but Try and stick stick to one. Um, use the ones that that you're used to training with. So the tourniquet itself, it's pretty pretty simple. It's got the um, strap. Um, it can fully uh, you can fully open it and weave it through once. And when you put it away, it should be ready to go. So you should have it kind of woven back on itself because um, you want to be able to open it basically with one hand when you, when you get going here. As it gets stuck in the Velcro. So when the Velcro is brand new, sometimes it gets stuck. But you want to be able to like basically open it up and have it ready to go. Um, you don't want to have it in the package for sure. Definitely yes. take it out of the package. You don't have it in its package. And don't have it like, you know, all twisted up like this sort of thing. Okay. So if you buy your own personal IFAC, like the ones we'll go over later, make sure you take the stuff out and take the protective wrappers off it because your tourniquet is in a beautiful little plastic wrapper. Don't just go buy a bag and think, oh, I've got a kit, and now your hands are covered in blood and you can't take that plastic wrapper off. Blood is very slippery. Um, so other features, so we got the, the strap, got this little tab here that's uh, that's easy to grab for your pulling. Um, you got the windlass, which is which is basically a stick. That's what's gonna tighten that ribbon, ribbon that Todd was talking about, tighten that ribbon inside, and that's what's gonna basically finish off uh, Tightening down the tourniquet, and then you have your uh, you have your kind of your hook here for your for your windlass to hook into, and your lastly you got your your time tap. Again, when you're putting your tourniquet away, don't do this. Yeah, a lot of people do that, think it's it's easy for uh, to, to keep on the person, but what's going to happen is now you, you just tighten this down, and now you got to fiddle around trying to open this up, to get your windlass going. So a good way to to keep this secure is basically like that, and you can actually tuck it in, but just don't have the tab over it. So when we're actually applying the tourniquet now, what you want to do, so it's going to be open and be ready to go. Shake it out. Again, I just got stuck. <laughs> so you shake it out. Um, best rule of thumb is you're going to always pull towards your center line. So if, if Todd was applying it to me, he would pull it towards his center line. If I'm applying it to myself, I would pull it towards my center line. So if it's self-application, I go nice and high. I get the tab going. Get some brand new. Okay, I get the tab going. I pull it tight. So you want this. Thing, this is important. So you want this as tight as you can get it before you do anything. Before you start playing around with the windlass, because this is just like the final, the final tightening. That's right. You want to have it tight and get it to right about there. And then you're going to tighten it down a few turns. Okay, so. Like I said, it's going to be off fuck and then a couple more. So right now I'm at the off fuck stage. So I'm going to stop right there because we're going to talk a little bit. Once we get it locked in, we're going to bring this tab over because if I was just to do this, 
Sure, it's locked in right now, but if we have to get extricated, I have to get pulled somewhere. As it gets pulled, it might start to loosen, and then suddenly I'm like this, and Todd looks down, and blood's starting to flow again. So we want to have it tight here. I'm going to lock it in with the time tab, and what that will do is make it so this tab won't come loose anymore. Okay, so now it's tight. Right now it's a little loose because I, I loosened it, but that's where we want to be. Okay, so that's our time. We can write our time on there, and we're good to go. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the one little, another little trick for putting them on. Um, so play with your tourniquets before you uh, put them away in your bag. So pull everything out, take the protective wrappers off them, and then Scott was showing the tab here. So a lot of them do just come totally flat. So if the shit hits the fan and you're covered in blood and you're trying to grab it, it it's hard to grab. So this is designed, you can just pull it up a little bit and still place it flat in your bag, but it's like a piece of tape, right? And you're looking for that damn edge to get that piece of tape up, you've got your tab here. So this little flap is designed to fold back onto itself and keep it there. And then it's a lot easier just to throw on, I can grab, I can pull it out. And then with this style, if you need to fully open it, you can still pop that back off and slide it through. Um, a few things, if, you, if this is your training tourniquet, you're going to notice after a few usages, you're going to get kind of a weird twist in it. So the only reason why, why that's happening is because that ribbon in there is getting wound back and forth. So what you want to do is undo it fully and just give it a pull and see how that straightens everything back out. So now you're ready to continue training. Obviously your actual um, tourniquet that you'd have in your kit is not going to be all worked like that. Yeah. But that's just the way, because a lot of people, you know, you do it over and over again, and you're like, oh, this tourniquet's all messed up because it's like looking like this. So just give it that stretch, and then you can keep training with it. That's right. Um, why don't we talk about a little, a couple of different styles of tourniquets that we have here. So you went over the cat. Uh, do you want to show the differences from the, with the soft T? So we showed, so pros and cons to both. So choose the style that you think is going to fit best for, for what you're working with. A lot of guys I talk to, a lot of cops, um, they like, I mean, they, they carry the cast, but they like the soft teeth because if they're injured and they have to put this around their leg and they can't get down to put this right around their leg and bring it up nice and high and tight, you need to pull it apart. And with these, it's hard to find that perfect little spot to Connect it back through and back onto it. We're actually going to show a video of an uh, officer trying to do that yeah. in a minute here. Um, so the soft tee actually has, a, like I said, it has a clip that you can unclip um, and then put it back on. So it just can clip back on. It is a little bit finicky, so uh, you know, as a solo officer, it might be a challenge. But with your partners there, um, it's going to be easier for him to find that clip and pull it, and it just locks into place. So that's really the main difference between a softie and a cat. Um, the, you know, it's, still got, it's got a little bit of a different hook here mm -hmm. for the um, wineless to stay on, but essentially it's, it's almost the same thing. Yeah, a few of my law enforcement buddies really like carrying that style. Um, but again, it refers back to what you train with and what you practice with. The other one here is the TMT. So very similar. So it's got the, um, this one, it's, it's actually got a little rolled over edge, so it's easy to grab. And it's got the big old pull on it, in case you forget which, which tab to pull. So it's the same thing. When you put it on, you've got your tab, and you're going to pull to tighten. 
And then Velcro, I've got my windlass and I've got my strap to lock in, into place. And then the other thing that this has is very similar to the soft key is the hook that um, uh, opens up and clasps right back on. That's the TMT. And I think uh, lastly, we'll mention um, the wrap tourniquet. So the wrap tourniquet is, uh, is is not on the approved list as far as I know this year anyways. Um, the wrap tourniquet's kind of like, um, it, they, people argue over it. People don't like them, but people either hate it or they, or they, they, they maybe not love it, but they like it. Um, the wrap tourniquet, it's it's good because it's it's very portable. Like you can put it in your pocket, you wouldn't even know you had it. Um, the only reason why I would probably use it right now is, um, for, for kids, for like little kids, because um, a regular cat tourniquet, if, you, if it's a small child, you can't necessarily lock it down um, tight enough to, 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 to stop that blood, because there's a there's a clasp there. So the good thing about the wraps is wraps is basically, basically an elastic band. So you wrap it around and you just keep wrapping it and then you, I'm not gonna do it tight, but then you cinch it off um, on these little horns here. So you can get a pretty good, um, pretty tight, it's, I find it's not as effective on the leg because you can't get it tight enough. On the arm, I probably could get it tight enough on a, on a child I could, um, but there's also that direct pressure for the child. So, I mean, one good thing about a tourniquet is if it's a, if it's a mass casualty incident, you could do direct pressure, but now what, what just happened, if I'm the only officer, if I'm the only um, firefighter, if I'm the only civilian, you know, I, I apply direct pressure and I sit there, but now there's four of the people injured. So. If, you, if I can get in here and I can apply that tourniquet and it stops the bleeding, I can move on. I can move to somebody else. Exactly. And I think that's the importance of, of any of these tourniquets is you can apply that tourniquet and you can move on to another person. Yeah, the, the, the trick with all this stuff and when you're being an instructor and teaching it is you, you got to think of real world applications. Like it's great to take a course and uh, say, well, this is what you use, but th that's why this is a good option for, for certain children. Um, and of course, everything's adaptable. The size of the child is going to be adaptable, but you get some children that their arms, this is not going to go around. This is a little bit more pliable, the cat, but you look at the TMT and this is not, this is a lot more rigid and very large. So you think of maybe your son or daughter's arm when they're at a very young age, that's very hard. That's, that's not going to get that good seal. So children are very challenging when it comes to massive hemorrhage control with tourniquet use. Now, that isn't your only um, device to use, right? We go back to compression and wound packing. So, but it's just, it's an option. Okay, so this takes us to this video. Um, this is the officer that, um, like I was saying, if I skipped ahead, they're skinny medic right there. So this is an officer that uh, shot the suspect Suspect actually ends up in handcuffs. So he's in handcuffs. They're searching real quick. See a little mass of blood. He's got the tourniquet on his leg. Officer does. Ankle tourniquets. That's a cat. So he has, he has to open it right up like we were talking. And you'll see now he's full. Now his hands are uh, blood on. You see the flow and the large amount of uh, volume on the ground. So he's having some issues because he has to get that, that loop back through. That's reset.
Again, I've said it before, blood is extremely slippery when it's fresh. It starts getting sticky in a very short time, but in those moments, it's slippery. So they, they put the tourniquet on and end up saving him, I believe. But you can see just how much blood flow that, that was there. Mm -hmm. Many different styles of tourniquets. Find the ones that work for you. Uh, like we were talking about bleeding, bleeding control in children, uh, and all but the extremely young child, the same tourniquet used for adults can be used in children. So like we said, sometimes the, the, the cat tourniquet, stuff like that, cannot necessarily be used in a small child. Um, the rat probably could be, um, or direct pressure. Mm -hmm. As it says here, uh, it's turning too big, direct pressure on the wound as described previously will work in virtually all cases. So what that does is it ties up that one person. So that one person has to stay there the whole time. Mm -hmm. it, it's like any training stuff that we've talked about in the past. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a kit in your toolbox, right? The tourniquet um, has very good use for certain applications, but we've always got our other defaults, right? Direct pressure and wound packing as well. Uh, and there's, you know, there's always talk on like, what do we do with impaled objects? Like anything else in first aid, leave it where it is. Leave it. Yeah. <laughs> leave it, pack it, um, don't touch it. Um, we make improvised tourniquets. There's lots of ways to do that. There's belts. Belts are hard because you can't get them necessarily tight enough. Um, you can use triangle bandages. Um, yeah. The, you know, at the end of the day, we, where society is going, I think it's, and what we're pumping is carry this stuff, right? Carry it in your vehicle. Um, Carry it on your person. Put it on your bag. Yeah, have them on your bags. Um, obviously, there's going to be those situations where you know you're not going to have it, um, but we can always default back to that direct pressure and wound packing. Um, but improvised tourniquets, yeah, if you're out somewhere, try it. Um, they, you know, they talk about a loss of arm or leg because that was always the the fear. You know, you put a tourniquet on someone, their leg's going to fall off five minutes later. That's not the case. No, nope. um, most of the damage that is done was already done. So, like gunshot wound, reason why the leg was damaged was because of the there was a bullet in the leg, not because of tourniquet. Mm. And ultimately, if the tourniquet did do the damage, would you rather be dead or would you rather lose a limb? Um, pain. They hurt. Talk about pain. They're gonna hurt a lot. Um, other questions. So people always ask other questions in these courses. One thing some people ask is, can you can you combine the two together? Can you do a tourniquet and a wound pack? And there's an excellent video. Absolutely. Again, oops, oh, I screwed up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, throw that tourniquet on, quick and dirty. Uh, it, it, it's going to stop that bleeding. You can wound pack afterwards. If the tourniquet doesn't work. Go back to your direct pressure and wound pack. Get another great video. Uh, these guys are called Mosul Medic. Um, they have a bunch of um, pretty uh, good videos from uh, from the war. Um, so this is one of the helmet cam footage. So you see a tourniquet getting applied to a leg injury. This is, I believe, one of the uh, Iraqi police. So they've applied the tourniquet. Injuries down here, you'll see they're going to cut the bandage off that they've applied in the field. So you see the tourniquet's doing uh, its job because that, that wound is not, uh, there's no heavy flow coming out of that wound. Yeah, the, the key here too is before you take that dressing off, make sure you've got something else in place. We're not checking the peak on it. You know, we're putting the tourniquet on first. 
And now, so they're looking to see if, if, if it's a through and through. There's a sweet shot of some Nikes. Those are Nikes and Nikes. And lots of iodine. Not going to have that in your field. Excuse me? Uh, bandage. Uh, or not bandage, uh, gauze. Here. No problem. I think. Good, 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 good. So right there, so we'll back and see how easy it goes in. It's another, that's another good example because people think it's going to be really hard to shove that in. Take some forceps, but it really does go in quite easily. So again, we talked about, um, you know, wound packing very quickly in the field when it's actively bleeding. This he's able to take a lot more time because it's not actively bleeding, it's controlled. It's in a field hospital, so they're able to uh, take the time a little bit more. But you need to get that packing into that wound. And he was using a hemostatic agent for that one as well. Um, blood loss. We didn't talk about blood loss. No. You want to touch base on it? Right now we're going to talk more about it later yeah, on. I, that basically, uh, that's the end of the slideshow anyway. So that's mm -hmm. pretty much the end of the uh, PowerPoint. Once you get to there, they you know they just summarize everything. Um, you know, there's little uh, there's little notes at the bottom, like every other instructor PowerPoint. notes, yeah. instructor notes for you. Um, it, it's a pretty good course, as you can see. It's fairly short, but but what you add into it is is what makes it right. Like we said, um, you you can add these little videos. These little videos aren't. Part of the course, um, the you know, like we said, we can scale it for teaching elementary schools. We're not showing them the the person yeah. getting shot and, uh, and dying in the street. Um, we're going to show them some other, you know, less graphic videos. Maybe not even show them videos. Maybe just you know, show them some of the you know, the, they like these little like these little wound packers and stuff. Um, and yeah. even these, these maybe these are too graphic. We could do some of the uh, some of the other stuff like Todd has here. Yeah, it's, you know, again, it's like anything, it's uh, knowing your audience, right? So if you're going to be teaching into in a school or younger children uh, or maybe certain offices or community centers, uh, know your audience, right? Any good instructor should know your audience before you start teaching. So there's lots of devices out there you can either purchase or you can make your own, which we'll show. Uh, this is a really good leg for um, uh, for dry packing. Um, just, or it's wound packing, but it's, it's not a wet presentation, which these are designed to actually put uh, uh, some fake blood through, essentially. Now, if, if your budget doesn't allow, so these are about, what, 400 Yeah, these are 400 bucks. They get, they're pretty pricey little packs. Um, but again, you know, in my job, I was able to get, get some of these for some of my training I do. Um, so if you're in like a volunteer service or, you know, you're, you're teaching like on the side for schools and stuff, these are these things are great. This is just a basic yoga block. Um, Amazon for like five bucks each. And if you break one, no big deal. And what all work done? Well. Yeah, they work really well. They, yeah. it's, it's essentially like it's a, it's a little it's more rigid than this. But the best thing is you can use this over and over and over again. And uh, like with these ones that we've used probably on a hundred different people. Um, so you just basically take screwdriver, knife, just try to figure out different wounds. Um, you can have uh, slash wounds, you can have gunshot wounds, you can have whatever that is. <laughs> um, and you basically just make these wounds and you can make them dry just the way they are. Like Todd was saying, this is a dry one. So you can just do some dry packing or you can make it more entertaining and more uh, more that dynamic mm -hmm. um, 
high fidelity, whereas we just kind of hold on the side and you take a... Uh... Yeah, you, you, want to, you want to make these courses fun, right? You want to make them very interactive. So we, we basically went and bought a $20 little sprayer um, that you get for in the garden center. I think they're about 20 bucks. Yep. Take the nozzle off the end, you cut your hole, shove it in, and uh, the instructor can actually just give the, give the flow while the student practices wound packing. And these things are great because you can take the nozzle out and you can use them later on some of the other sims we're going to do for um, down, the, down the training ground. So we're going to show you some of the other options you can use with this. So these, for you know, 30 bucks, we made a pretty good uh, simulator of blood. Yeah, there's there's a lot of options out there. This is this is what we started with. Scott um, uh, made up a couple, then we started making the course, and um, you know we just started evolving from there. And the stop the bleed course is like the slideshow is a very basic, um, clean version for Joe Public. You know where this course makes it is you need people to teach it that know the material. Um, know the evidence behind why they're doing it, maybe have some very strong field experience, um, and then do these high fidelity sims. We're going to show you some of the things that we're going to be doing, and um, that's just a very tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that Scott does as, as well, um, but we're, we're not going to show you all of it. Um, what else? I think, uh, like Todd said, let's uh, talk about some of the blood loss. We're going to get into it a yeah. little bit more uh, later, but uh, essentially, in the human body, how much blood is there, Todd? So uh, average adult, there's a four and a half to uh, five and a half liters of blood. And just before Scott goes on, so the importance of knowing that is we've seen how quickly people can bleed out. Um, and the percentages of their blood loss really equates to the time we need to be doing this. You know, I think the best way to show, we're going to show this later, but um, if you imagine uh, five of these and basically I got a, a drink bottle, like a Pepsi bottle. And that's one liter if you're in Canada. Um, so one liter, one liter of uh, liquid is it's it's pretty easy for someone to see that and be like, that's one liter. We we had started we had done some stuff where uh, we got some of these um, saline bags. saline bags. Um, we've you know Todd got them and we filled them with uh, some fake blood and we were you know we were showing people these. Well, do these people? It's hard for people to associate this with anything other than hanging from hanging from behind you where your IV is dripping. So it's hard for people to, to imagine how much that actually is, but then when you show them, well, it's you know one liter is this, and they all everybody's drank a liter of cola. Mm -hmm. right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so everybody can visualize how much that is. So four to five of these is all that's in the human body and the average adult. Mm -hmm. um, we're gonna get into we're gonna talk about um, what happens when we start losing that uh, coming up here shortly. So, and the other thing too is everybody can visualize this. But it looks so much different when it's spread apart on the ground. Right. And we'll do that as well. It says you throw a little bit of fluid out on the ground, everything's, oh, it's a huge amount. And it's only 250 mils. Um, so it's, it really changes your thought process on what's on the ground. So that's yeah. good. Um, so the other real quick thing. So when we talk about hemorrhage control and when we're going to be showing you these techniques, make sure the uh, participants are aware that you know after about 20% in the average adult, uh, you start getting a hemorrhagic shock. Um, now you start thinking about pediatrics, so 200 mils equates to 20% blood loss for them, and now they're going into hemorrhagic shock. So that's not very much when you start thinking about pediatrics, so right. even more of an urgency if you're dealing with children. 
Um, we talk about a little bit about IFAC, so we brought some stuff. Mine, this one's actually empty, but um, basically an IFAC is an individual first aid kit. Now you can go, uh, you can go as simple as the old, you know, little first aid kit in your car and add some tourniquet and a few wound packing things, or you can get a little bit more advanced. Um, we, you know, we have some of the, the pouches, you know, 511 is great. They have lots of cool pouches, um, but there's, there's various other um, companies that make pretty sweet little pouches. I think it's a 511 too. That's 511 as well. Todd's IFAC there, I don't know what you got. I haven't looked in yours. So I have a few different styles of IFACs um, for different things. So this is one small IFAC I have designed to carry on my work bag with me everywhere. It goes everywhere I go when I'm working. It's also designed I can take it off and throw it on my hunting pack or whatnot. So, and this one is strictly for that massive hemorrhage. I've got two tourniquets. I've got a TMT tourniquet here. I've got a CAMT tourniquet here. I have some C locks. So your hemostatic wound packing agents. I have two packs of that. And I also have a pair of scissors here. And I've got my modular bandage as well, which we'll show. So that is all I have in this style of a kit. Then I have a kit that I carry on the seat of my truck as well. So this one's always with me. And this one's more, a bit more designed for the family. It's a bit of first aid and some major trauma as well. So again, I've got my scissors, I've got gloves, got some medical tape, I've got a tourniquet. I have some op sites, which are great to cover small little puncture wounds and also great for stab wounds if there's not a lot of blood loss. Um, Finger lax, minor stuff. So that's what you normally put when you're doing an IV, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the offsite wall will you throw over an IV site. I also have a chest seal. So this is a SAM chest seal. And then the lower half is a bit more of the minor first aid. So I've got my usual, just um, some uh, stereo strips, minor gauze, different styles of bandages. I've got some little saline tube to clean. I've got some larger dressing and I have some more roller gauze and more, it doubles as wound packing. And in case a nose bleeds, I've got a nose clip. Again, this style is designed a bit more for the family for when we're out and about. But I also have that major hemorrhage stuff ready to go. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, we both can carry these. these ones, yeah. um, These things are great. Uh, they're actually, uh, they're police and military design. Um, they're kind of like my my MCI bag. I think the same for you. Yeah. They're like an MCI kit because what they what they're designed actually for. There is um, inside here. There's there's a couple pouches and they're actually made for magazines uh, like um, AR-15 magazines. And then you'd add your little bit of medical. Yeah. But what we've done. Oh, sorry. They're, they're up here. Um, so what I've done and I think what Todd's done is similar. I keep this in the back of my car hanging. And the great thing about this is you can you can take this um, keeper off. You attach it to your belt fairly quickly, and then you're ready to go. As I say that <laughs> fairly quickly. Yeah, I'm the same as Scott. So this uh, this lives with me in my truck, and then I take it out when I go to work, and I put it in my work car as well. So obviously, being a medic, I have all my kits. However, this is a lot more versatile. If we ever, heaven forbid, get that 
um, you know, active shooter type of scenario or mass casualty scenario, this is kind of my go bag. I can strap it on myself and go. Um, a lot of my law enforcement people really like it as well. Um, it, it works well. Yeah, so normally you strap this in. I'm just gonna do it right now. You strap it in, it would be attached to your waist. I mean, you could run like this too, but that way it's, it's here, you still got hands free to do um, pressure, um, dragging people, all that sort of stuff. And then from here, you can just, yeah, just top this thing. You can, you can open it up. Um, I got three tourniquets. I got two up here, one here. Some wound packing, uh, chest seal, um, gloves, scissors. I believe that's it. Yeah, I'm very similar. Uh, so instead of the mag pouches, because I don't carry a firearm at work, uh, I've got another tourniquet. I've got a cat tourniquet here. I have some more. Oh, that's in there really good. I have some more trauma dressings. I have scissors. I have our March algorithms, just in case anybody wants to stop <laughs> and read it in the heat of the moment. Um, but that comes standard with the kit. But also what comes in this kit is triage tags, which are very handy for those active shooter and MCI events. I have two chest seals. And I've also got some more rolled gauze, some quick cloth, some gloves, some more sea locks, and some more flat gauze. And I also carry this handy dandy little thing. This is called an IT clamp. So what that is, is I'm not doing it to myself. <laughs> it scares me. So the IT clamp is good for junctional wounds. So say you've got large uh, lacerations or uh, puncture wounds in junctional, junctional areas that we can't um, dress very neatly. So when you open this up, uh, it's got very sharp spikes on either side and it is designed to do exactly that, is to clamp down over the wound. So I will place that over the wound I'll squeeze it tight and it'll actually seal the wound. There's a lot of cool videos out there. Um, again, it's just it's just one of those devices. There's many companies that make these little devices. Um, and yeah, just in case I need to put on somebody. I'm putting it on myself. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's basically a quick rundown of IFACs and, uh, yep. and some MTI bags. Yeah, so I finally got this thing strapped on. Um, yeah, like I said, you can move around. It's, it's good to just strap it in your belt and you're good to go. Many different styles of bags. Uh, I have also a big trauma kit I carry when we go on big excursions as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it basically runs uh, is the stop the bleed presentation portion. We're going to go to the training ground now and do some um, more of the hands-on, more of the high fidelity stuff. We'll show you some um, some a blood loss demo that is uh, really uh, really reinforces that how much what, what blood looks like when it's out on the ground, like Thomas mm -hmm. Sam. And then we'll show you some sims that we do. And like you said, we can scale these sims. We can have them um, in a car accident for a civilian. We can have them a, a police officer who, who was shot. We can do a firefighter down. Um, we can do a firefighter with a chainsaw. Exactly. All sorts of stuff. So we're going to show you some sims that we can do and using some very simple uh, props. Yeah. Yeah. Make it fun. Um, make it very interactive, very hands-on. Know your stuff. Um, do those high fidelity sims. Get that that you know that stress inoculation that Scott talks so much about. You know, build it up to teach people. Um, obviously, we're not, I'm not going to do that to uh, to an elementary school child. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> however, uh, you know, when we do teach any sort of our law enforcement friends or anybody who are first responders that want to take part and have a bit more fun, 
that's where you really make your course. Anybody can sit there and go through a PowerPoint and talk about stuff. You know, they have a little desk job and do it. However, being the boots on the ground type of people and getting dirty and having fun and making these sims wet and messy is where it's at. This is off the training ground. Yeah, let's rock. Yeah. Holy, that was a lot longer than we thought. 68 minutes. It's because you wouldn't shut up.